Faith Over Fear is brought to you by Life Audio and is part of our Faith Toolkit series. For more inspirational, faith-affirming podcasts, visit us at lifeaudio.com. Hello, welcome to the Faith Over Fear podcast, where we systematically attack our most pervasive fears with truth, because life is too short for any of us to live enslaved. We are passionate about helping God's children discover, embrace, experience, and share God's freedom. We would love to connect with you online. Just visit our show notes to learn how to connect with us. I'm Jennifer Slattery, and I've had times, many times, when I have been tempted to quit. Quit a job, a ministry, quit everything to hide away in my bedroom and mentally check out with Netflix and a massive bag of candy. I have gone through seasons that felt so overwhelming, so hard and exhausting. I couldn't fathom stepping forward, and frankly, I wasn't sure I wanted to. Periods where I felt the cost of obedience, the choice to persevere was simply too much. And honestly, I wasn't sure the final destination would be worth the pain and the sacrifice. There have been times when I feared God was leading me on an endless and exhausting dead end. And maybe that's where you're at now. Maybe you have been pushing through hard, frustrating, and tiring circumstances for so long, you fear you've lost your ability or your will to press on in that job that causes you ongoing stress, in a marriage that seems filled with more conflict than peace and joy, in parenting a rebellious teen who seems to resent your input and continually rebuffs your efforts to connect, and you're praying for insight, for a divine perspective, or maybe you just want to know your current struggle won't last forever and that it won't be for nothing. I want to start by saying this world is difficult. Jesus said it would be. He told us to expect trouble, but he also told us to take heart, which in the original Greek has the connotation of an inward strength, and that's part of what it means to be resilient. It's that inner strength, the grit, to endure and adapt to challenging circumstances, to stumble and fall on occasion, as we all do, but to dust ourselves off and get back up. Our resiliency or lack of impacts every area of our lives, and it's not a black or white thing. It's not like we're either resilient or we're not, but rather it's a matter of how resilient we are. When life knocks us flat, at what point do we stay down? And more importantly, which direction are we headed? Are we training ourselves to give up? Or are we growing stronger with each difficulty we experience? Because here's the thing, how we respond to challenges today dramatically impacts our ability to stand strong tomorrow. Every time we quit, we reinforce that behavior until it becomes a habit or a way of life. But the opposite is true as well. Each time we stay in the fight just one day or even one hour longer, we're gaining strength to withstand whatever life throws at us tomorrow. And that's why I often encourage aspiring novelists to always finish what they start unless God makes it abundantly clear that he wants them to use their time and their gifts elsewhere. Because I know, to quote my daughter, that every story has an ugly phase. Drafts where the book appears to be beyond repair. And if we always quit during the challenging sections, we'll end up with hard drives filled with unfinished novels and hearts bruised by unrealized dreams. When we push through the ugly phase, however, something beautiful occurs within us, regardless of the story or whatever goal we're pursuing, regardless of how that turns out, we become 
infinitely stronger. And that inner strength built through obedience and perseverance will provide much more benefit than any momentary goal, no matter how grand or exciting ever could. It's taken me a bit to recognize that. I can get so caught up in my present circumstances that I forget to consider what God might be doing through them, what he is training me for. Regret is such a heavy burden to carry. And maybe you know this from experience. Actually, we probably all do to some extent. We can probably all look back on certain seasons of our lives, certain opportunities encountered but never accepted or never fully followed through on, wishing that we had stuck it out just a little longer, wondering not just what our life might look like, but what we might look like had we done so, had we chosen to persevere. And if that's where you're at, if you are standing upon a mountain of regret, if you have spent a lifetime strengthening your quitting muscles, I hope this encourages you. It's never too late to try again. And today, by day, and choice by choice, by God's grace, to grow just a little stronger. Standing on the other side of some of my most challenging seasons, I can now see all God was doing in and through me through every trial, through every frustration and confusing and frightening moment. And I've come to know him in a way I've developed an intimacy with him I don't think I would have otherwise. I've also come to know myself better, my strengths, weaknesses, passions, and my calling. How vibrant life can be when lived surrendered to the one who created my soul. Your family, your faith, they're not in the way. They are the way. From the creators of Jesus Revolution comes the incredible true story. It's going to be dangerous and scary and giving up. It's not an option. The story of one family's journey from down under to center stage. Unsung Hero, a for King and Country film starring Candace Cameron Bure and Terry O'Quinn. In theaters now. Visit unsunghero.movie to learn more. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. What impacts you every day? There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives. Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists, the way we measure time, social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org slash impact. When my daughter was in college, working towards a degree that felt unreachable and took every ounce of grit she had, she experienced a lot of angst involving fears related to her future. She told me one day, I'm terrified that God is going to call me to do something boring. And those of you with children may be chuckling, but her concern was actually valid and it went much deeper than a desire for temporary entertainment or pleasure. What she was really saying was, I'm afraid all of this hard work won't be worth it and that my life will lack joy and significance, that I'll end up unfulfilled. Now, this came to a large extent from her interpretation of how others lived. From her perspective, a good number of adults worked at a job they hated and spent the bulk of their existence simply checking off tasks. And she wanted to know why. She wanted to know why and she wanted to do what she could to not follow their example. Maybe you have the same question and the same fears. 
Maybe you're afraid if you yield completely to Christ, stepping when and where he asks you to, pushing through exhaustion and frustration, when frankly, you could be sitting in the shade of a tree, sipping ice-cold lemonade, and you're afraid your uphill climb will either never end or that it will end in a gravel pit. To which I would reply, as I did to my daughter, then you don't know God very well. I have learned our God does not waste our time, our efforts, our tears, or our gifts. The one who planted a soul-deep desire for significance within us, he promises to fulfill it, to meet our needs, and give us a life that's well beyond our expectations and characterized by joy and peace. And we can trust him for two reasons. First, God is faithful. He doesn't lie. He doesn't change. He doesn't manipulate, which means Jesus will deliver on the joy and peace he promised. And then he backed up his words with his life by dying and rising again. The brutality of his death endured for me and you, that revealed the depth of his love for us, the depth of his desire, how much he wants to see me and you come vibrantly alive. But we must trust the one who promised those precious gifts also knows how we'll grab hold of them. In other words, if we want to experience the joy and the peace Christ promised, we must live the life he calls us to. I'm going to say that again. If we want to experience the joy and the peace Christ promised, we must live the life he calls us to because any other path we venture down, no matter how alluring it seems, leads to futility, disappointment, and ultimately death. If not physical death, then increased spiritual death, death of our relationships, death of our dreams. Some of us may agree with this truth, at least intellectually, but have a difficult time holding tight to that truth in our day-to-day struggles, which is why the struggles themselves can lead to increased life, because they reveal doubts we may not otherwise become aware of, false securities we've clung to, and idols that have taken up residence within our souls. As I share in Holy Love's Unshakable, Unbreakable Joy Bible Study, which you can grab free from the Holy Love website, by the way, but as I share in that Bible study, those idols, that job, that relationship, house, career, aspiration, whatever we're pursuing more passionately than Christ, it might promise us life, but it ultimately steals life from us because those idols, they are never enough. They can never fully satisfy, and we know if not consciously, then subconsciously, how temporary all of our greatest earthly treasures truly are. And so we strive for more or for a better grip, ever fighting for control, replacing the joy and the peace that Christ died to give us with inner angst. And this often leads to a few different responses. Some people grow so exhausted and discouraged, they end up giving up completely, and they just kind of mentally check out. Others slip from disappointment to disillusionment, which can easily turn to a life of bitterness and despair. What impacts you every day? There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives. Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists, the way we measure time, social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org impact. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. 
we have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolf. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. The other day, I spoke to a woman who has experienced a great deal of hardship throughout her life. She struggles with her health. She feels isolated and alone. She's lost a lot of her loved ones, and that's a lot to carry, right? She would have been justified to feel intense grief and even anger, which in turn could have driven her to God. Instead, due to faulty thinking, she blamed herself and she assigned attributes to God that he doesn't possess. Now, I'm not sure if she realized that was what she was doing. We often don't understand the root of some of our most intense emotions, mainly because many of us have spent a lifetime suppressing them or numbing ourselves with the I have faith type response. Not that we shouldn't have faith. We absolutely should. But if you caught my conversation with Christian therapist, Dr. Allender, you'll remember his emphasis on allowing ourselves to feel and giving ourselves permission to wrestle with God, because it's often in the wrestling that we most experience Christ. And God always, always, always leads us to increased hope, truth, and freedom. He reveals areas of deception within us, and he replaces those areas with truth. If we turn to him. But if we run from him, if we view our circumstances as proof that he's upset with us, that he's punishing us in some way, which would then mean that he's harsh and punitive rather than loving and merciful. And that would, in essence, since he calls himself loving and merciful, if that were true, that would, in essence, make him a liar, which we know he is faithful. We know he doesn't lie. And I want to pause here and I want to unpack that a little more clearly because it's been a bit since I've talked about tracing our emotions to the proclamations they make. So let me use my friend as an example. She believed she was under God's wrath and that he was punishing her through the loss of her loved ones and through some health challenges and other challenges that she endured. And if that were true, then like I said a moment ago, that would mean that God is harsh and punitive rather than loving, long-suffering, and merciful. What's more... Christ paid the penalty for all of our sins, the sins we've committed in the past, and those that will unfortunately commit tomorrow. So we cannot be under God's wrath if we belong to Jesus. She assumed, like many of the Jews did during Jesus's day, that suffering always came from sin. Now, you may have caught Kelly Campbell and my discussion on suffering in episode 106, and she's actually going to come back on. We're going to go into suffering in more detail because I know many of you are enduring some really hard things. But anyway, she and I, we will be revisiting that topic in the near future. But for now, I do feel it's important to touch on this briefly. As our view of God and how he responds to us greatly impacts our hope, our trust, and therefore our resilience. In Romans 5, verses 8 to 9, we read, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? Yes, there are times that God disciplines us, only not in a punitive way, but rather always and only with the love of a father. Proverbs 3 verses 11 to 12 states, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. So let's break this down a bit. The first thing we note is that scripture states God's actions are motivated by love, a love similar to that which a father has to his son in whom he delights. So we begin with the assurance that God delights in us. And sometimes in order to keep us from completely self-destructing, God corrects and redirects us. That's what discipline means, to correct and to train, not to inflict punishment, in order to nudge us away from a self-destructive path and back to the good and hope-filled plans that he has for us. Therefore, if we, God's children, through faith in Christ, experience hardship, we can know without a doubt that this is not because God is angry with us and trying to get back at us. In my conversation with my friend, I reminded her of that truth and also of a promise that Jesus had made to his dearest friends, by the way, the men he had chosen and invested in and then commissioned with the most precious gift of all, the gospel. And it was to those dearly loved men that on the night before he died, he said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. I have told you this, he said, referring to everything he had said in the preceding chapters from the moment he stooped down to wash the disciples' feet in John chapter 13, and a lengthy discussion during which he told them that he would die and that they would experience hatred and persecution. So again, trouble, that they would experience trouble. And Christ told them this plainly so that they wouldn't be sideswiped. It's super hard to display resiliency when we feel sideswiped, right? At least it is for me. It is much easier for me to stand firm, anchored in God's love and grace, to brace myself with his love when I know a storm is coming. Well, we know, scripture makes it clear, a storm is always coming, whether through natural causes or the hurtful actions of others. Humans don't always love like they should, nor does this broken and sinful world function as God intended. As Jesus promised, we endure storms and wars and rumors of wars, earthquakes and floods and drought, not because God is angry at us, but rather because this world is not and never will be our home. We are better able to stand firm when our world crumbles all around us if we want the strength and the oomph to climb out of that rubble when we're temporarily knocked flat. We're better able to do that when we filter our experiences and inform our emotions with truth. In 2011 through about 2013, I experienced some significant health challenges that initially stole my energy, my joy, and my hope. I felt as if my illness had really stolen everything I loved, hiking, running for a time, precious time with my daughter, because often I was just so fatigued. I spent a lot of time in bed, and initially I fought against my illness with determination and fervency. I spent hours searching the internet for cures, and my search for help had only increased my self-reliance, and it soon became an idol. That thing that I longed for more than Jesus Christ. And as with all idols, it failed stripping me of my sense of control, which was an illusion anyway, which, and that whole experience, it could have been a glorious gift had it drawn me to deeper intimacy with and dependence upon Christ, but it didn't, at least not initially. 
Instead, I found myself slipping from grief and anger, normal and healthy responses to loss and hardship, and into despair. My world felt so dark, and for a while, I gave in to the darkness. But God met me there. He sat with me in my sorrow, reminding me that His light still lived within me. He assured me that even in my weak, hurting, and sick state, I still had purpose, that I could still lead a life of incredible significance. He invited me to consider the life of Paul, a first century church planter who endured more hardship than most of us ever will 10 times over. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 24 to 27, he wrote, speaking of his experiences while serving Christ, quote, five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked, end quote. But Paul kept getting back up. Acts 14 tells us about a time when he and his ministry team first went to Iconium, where they faced significant opposition, and then fled to the region of Lystra and Derby, where the people initially responded with enthusiasm, but soon spurred on by disbelieving Jews turned hateful. Verse 19 states, then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. But according to verse 20, after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby to preach. How did he do that? What gave him the grit to endure so much, to risk his life again and again, to literally get pummeled to the ground, but then to dust himself off, get back up and get back in the game? Well, first, he had a deep constant and dependent relationship with Jesus Christ. In his letter to the Philippians, written while under house arrest, he said in chapter 1, verses 21 to 23, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. And that summed up Paul's life and it fueled his resilience. He centered his life on Christ and Christ's mission, knowing the treasure he held, the gift of life entrusted to him and seeing others cross over from death to life and slavery to freedom. That was so precious, so valuable. It was worth any price. Paul lived vitally connected to and empowered by the Holy Spirit, and he remained focused on everything that awaited him in heaven. He knew this world would be tough. But he also knew that it wasn't his home, that he was destined for so much greater. Often, when I speak to people who are in the pit of despair, and I don't mean who are grieving, but who have lost all hope and who are slipping further and further into bitterness, I discover they've distanced themselves from Christ. 
They're not seeking him or his perspective. They aren't reading scripture. They're not going to church. They're not connecting with other believers. Therefore, they have no anchor to hold them steady through the storm, nor do they have community to lean upon when they feel like their knees are about to give way or, or community to pull them out of the waves when they're beginning to drown. We need one another. I know we hear that a lot, and we may agree in theory, but well, in Western culture, we have been trained to live independently, to live self-reliant, where we fool ourselves into believing that we're strong. But in reality, living disconnected to God's people leaves us vulnerable and weak. Now, one last story before we end. Five, maybe 10 years ago, a friend of mine decided to become a foster parent, and her first placement was super tough. She thought she had mentally and spiritually prepared herself for the difficult journey, but the kid proved much more challenging than she had anticipated, and she discovered she was much weaker than she had thought. I've had that happen many times because we'll never truly know how difficult an endeavor or or an assignment is. We'll never know the depth of our weakness until we step into that assignment that challenges us. And in that place where we feel squeezed and all of our insecurities and flaws begin to rise to the surface, it's easy to quit. If not literally, then mentally disengaging and isolating and self-protecting. If you were to ask my friend, she would tell you that she failed that first assignment, that despite her strong desire to the contrary, she reacted with frustration and impatience and sometimes with anger, arguing with the teen instead of firmly but graciously instructing him. But then a year or so later, she took in another foster child, and that time she did a little better. She felt a bit stronger, and she knew herself better and therefore was more able to recognize when and how she needed to refuel. Then came the third child, and my friend felt much more prepared spiritually, mentally, and emotionally. She had learned to lean on Christ more consistently, and she had learned to lean on others. In fact, this time she prepared ahead, and she made sure she had a strong support system around her, those she could vent to, those who she could pray with and who would pray for her, those who would step in and offer a hand when the burden felt too heavy to carry alone, people to link arms with. And Paul did that as well. In all of his missionary journeys, he linked arms with others, most deeply with a younger man named Timothy and the Christ followers in Philippi. In chapters 1, verses 3 to 4 in Philippians, he wrote, I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Don't miss the significance of that passage. Paul was under house arrest. He was experiencing persecution for his faith and his mission. And there were probably times when he felt very alone. But he knew that he wasn't because he had Jesus Christ. He had Timothy and he had his beloved brothers and sisters in Philippi. And I have no doubt those relationships cultivated prior increased his resilience, his passion, and his hope. Now, there are a lot of ways you and I can intentionally increase our resilience. In fact, I have about eight pages of notes that I never got to. But in this episode, I pointed out the resources I find most important, most beneficial. Truth. So informing our emotions with truth rather than allowing our emotions to interpret truth. An ever-deepening relationship with Christ, an ever-deepening relationship reliance on Christ, 
and practice in learning from our past mistakes. And finally, connecting with leaning upon building a support system of Christ followers upon whom we can lean. I don't know what you're pushing through now or what God is going to call you to push through tomorrow, but I do know if you have entrusted your life to Jesus Christ, if you have trusted in Christ for salvation, you have everything you need to live in victory, but you will not experience that victory, the the resiliency, the inner grit that you are created to have apart from Christ, apart from his truth and apart from his people. So if you want to be strong, if you want to get stronger day by day, draw near to God, seek his wisdom, saturate your mind and your heart with the truths of scripture. I don't know if you've ever popped over to the Your Daily Bible Verse podcast, but I co-host that with Grace Fox. It's five to eight minutes of biblical truth that you can just listen to while you're in the car, while you're driving to work, that you can use to build your inner strength, your spiritual strength to draw closer to Christ. So I encourage you to pop over there. We do a new episode Monday through Friday, but it's the truth upon which we stand. That is what makes us unshakable. And it's the Savior, the rock upon which we stand as well. He is firm beneath our feet. He's already there. All he's asking is that we turn to him, that we look to him, that we lean on him, that we follow however he leads, and that we remain connected, dependent upon one another. Let's pray. Holy Father, thank you for your love. Thank you that you do have good planned for us. We know this world is not our home. At times, it'll be hard. It'll be tough. It'll be exhausting. But through it all, you will grow us, you will perfect us, you will turn us into your beautiful masterpiece, men and women who reflect you evermore each day. And we know that such beauty and joy and peace and blessing await us in heaven. Thank you for the gift of heaven. Thank you for the gift of grace. Thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit deposited within our souls. The Spirit who gives us strength and wisdom, power, who refuels us, who encourages us, who prays for us. We thank you for that. Jesus, we thank you for the price that you paid so that we can have those precious gifts. And Holy Father, we thank you for giving us your son. It is in his name. It is in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening to Faith Over Fear, a production of Life Audio and the Salem Web Network. If you enjoyed what you heard today, we'd love for you to head over to your favorite podcast app and leave us a review. To learn more about Jennifer Slattery or to check out any of the resources she mentioned in this episode, just head over to her website, jenniferslatterylivesoutloud.com, or check out our show notes. This episode was produced by Kelly Givens and edited by Stephen Sanders. A special thanks to our executive producer, Stephen McGarvey. For more Faith Toolkit podcasts like this, Just head over to lifeaudio.com. Do you ever hear sayings make their way through the culture and the church that seem nice in theory, but are actually theologically problematic? 
My name is Shara Donahue, and I'm the host of The Bible Never Said That, a podcast where we examine these popular sayings under the lens of biblical truth. We cover sayings like, God won't give you more than you can handle, time heals all wounds, and follow your heart. We also spend time exploring how people use Bible verses out of context. If you want to grow in discernment and truth, join us and subscribe at lifeaudio.com.